remain standing for our sermon text from Romans chapter 3, the last paragraph, starting in verse 27. Give ear to God's word. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Thus far, the reading of God's word, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to hear what you have to say. And by your spirit, give us the grace to be convicted and challenged by Paul's words here, especially regarding our boasting and our pride. We, we ask for this for Christ's sake, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It says in the bulletin that the sermon today is by Pastor Jeremy Sexton. That's me. Uh, I just shaved a little bit of hair off of my face. Found my clippers, so. When I was a kid, there was a boy in my brother's class who earned himself a reputation among his classmates for, be, for bragging a lot. It's just, that's just what he was known. He, he always seemed to be talking about his accomplishments and his achievements. And you know the type. He had a knack for turning any discussion into a conversation about himself and his feats and his triumphs. If you told a story, he'd follow it up with a better story. And his stories, uh, in, in his stories, he always seemed to be the hero, Right? And his, his boasting not only earned him a reputation, it also earned him a nickname. His closest friends at school, including my brother, affectionately called him the Bragging Dragon. And I, and I was thinking about changing the, the title of the sermon to Don't Be a Bragging Dragon. But we're all Bragging Dragons. Uh, even if we're better at hiding it than my brother's classmate was. You may have tamed your inner bragging dragon, or by God's grace, you may be making great strides in putting it to death. But this side of heaven, you'll always have to contend with your inner bragging dragon. He'll always be there urging you to trust in your own righteousness, to compare yourself to others, to elevate yourself above others, to promote yourself and to demote others, to make God and mankind aware of your accomplishments and achievements, to display your feats and triumphs, to rely on your own understanding and skill and strength, to think more highly of yourself than you ought, to think about everyone but yourself with sober judgment, to work harder, to work hard to be somebody. We're boastful because we'd like to think we're important. We, we all have this need to be significant. And we'd also like the world to believe we're important. Perhaps you'd like the world to see how proficient you are at your job, at your profession, 
or how sensible you are, or how self-sufficient you are, or how emotionally stable you are, or how brainy you are, how well-read you are. Children, you may want your friends and, and the adults to know how mature you are for your age, or how smart you are, how pretty you are, or how strong you are. Self-importance and boasting can take a religious form as well. You may want others to see how spiritually minded you are. Or maybe you want to show off your high moral standards or your superior devotional life or your scrupulous application of God's law. Perhaps you think the world should know how well you know your Bible or how theologically astute you are. Most of our boasting, not, not all of it, but most of it, stays hidden from the public. Why? Because at least by the time we become adults... We're socially aware enough to know that no one really wants to encounter our inner bragging dragon. So we, we keep him in his dungeon most of the time. But we let him out during opportune times, during certain conversations. Sometimes we let our guard down and he, he gets out before we know it. And this especially happens when we're feeling insecure or when we're on social media. But it's fun to let the dragon out when we're alone, uh, you know, when we're driving in the car uh, by ourselves or, or when we're lying in bed looking at the ceiling. Anytime we need a self-esteem boost, right? We, your inner bragging dragon is, is good at chronicling and recalling for you all the reasons that you are important, better, superior, somebody, worthy, well, the gospel is a bragging dragon slayer. It slays self-importance. It kills conceitedness. It excludes boasting, as Paul says. It, it excludes boasting in principle because boasting makes no sense whatsoever as soon as you understand the gospel properly. You know, if you've read the first three chapters of Romans, you know, and, and digested it, how could you ever boast? But it's also, it also destroys boasting in practice. The gospel is powerful to put to death your boastful inner self. The gospel doesn't say that you're unimportant. That's not the point here at all. It says that God is more important. And it says that your significance as a person comes not from what you do, but from who lives inside of you. The gospel excludes boasting enables, and enables you to say with John the Baptist, he must become greater, I must become less. Or to say with the Apostle Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I just read verses 27 to 31 in Romans 3, but we'll only be looking at verses 27 and 28 today. As you can see on your outline, those are the, that's the section in the outline that I uh, put in regular font. We'll come back and look at the rest next week. And this is the, conclu the conclusion Paul draws from the magnificent truths in the preceding paragraph. And you remember that the preceding paragraph is the Acropolis, the high point, the Mount Everest, not only of Romans, but all of Holy Scripture. And in that great passage, verses 21 
to 26, Paul argued that righteousness cannot be achieved by obedience, by, by obeying the law. You can't be a law keeper and earn any points with God. Righteousness is God's gift to sinners. It's absolutely free. And it's received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, whose death on the cross redeemed sinners, rescued sinners, and propitiated God's just and holy wrath against sinners. Where then is boasting, Paul asks in verse 27. It is excluded, he says, through what law? The law of works? No. But through the law of faith. Therefore, we hold that a person is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. Boasting is a form of pride. It's a manifestation of pride. And pride has been called the mother of all sins, the greatest of all sins. Augustine designated pride as the root from which all other sins proceed. He wrote, pride is the beginning of sin. And what is pride but the craving of undue exaltation? The craving of undue praise. And this undue exaltation is this, Augustine says. When the soul abandons him to whom it ought to cleave as its end, as its purpose, and becomes a kind of end in itself, this happens when it becomes its own satisfaction. We call that self-satisfaction. So what do you crave? Do you crave undue exaltation? Are you clinging to God as your soul's end your soul's purpose, or has your soul, yourself, become a kind of end in itself? Are you satisfied in yourself or in God? Who's at the center of your life? Your soul or God? Augustine, of course, is on to something. In Scripture, God seems to hate pride most of all, just as he appears to love humility most of all. In Proverbs 6, Solomon lists seven sins that God hates. And the first one listed is pride. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And the first thing he mentions is pride. A proud look, it says. So pride has pride of place in that list. Even before murder and lying. This is why Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount, the very first sentence, by declaring a blessing on who? On the humble, on the lowly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, which is to say, blessed are those who are not proud, who are not prideful. Pride is the primordial sin. The first sin committed at the beginning of time, and first of all, by the devil himself. Isaiah 14 provides a poetic window into Satan's prideful heart. Isaiah, in that passage, passage is actually describing the fall of the Babylonian king. But in his description, Isaiah uses poetic language that also applies to the fall of Satan. Listen to Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will 
sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That was true of the king of Babylon. It was also true of Satan. Pride made Satan want to ascend to heaven and become like the Most High God. And the next verse in Isaiah 14 says, But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. This same pride made Eve susceptible to the devil's temptation when he told her that the forbidden tree would make her like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan tempted her to sin in the same way he sinned. Pride replaces God with self. It makes an idol of self as Satan and Adam and Eve did at the beginning. Pride exalts self rather than God. It exalts my achievements rather than God's. It boasts in the self rather than in the Savior. And so we need to ask, is your exaltation in God or in yourself? Is your praise, your boasting in God or yourself? Now, you don't have to be religious to be prideful. But the kind of pride that Paul homes in on is what we call religious, we might call religious pride. Pride in religion, as I put it in the handout. The worst kind of pride isn't the kind that promotes itself in the workplace or that seeks to be the center of attention at social events or that wants to be seen as the prettiest, strongest, smartest. The most appalling kind of pride is the kind that we religious people exhibit. James Boyce says that it's in religion alone that we are able to claim that God sets his approval on us as superior to other human beings. And the more demanding or rigorous our religion is, the more prideful we become. A perfect example of this is what we saw last week, the pride of the Pharisee in Luke 18 who had the audacity to boast in his righteousness, boast about his righteousness before God. God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, these other sinners, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I have. The Pharisee was full of himself, while the tax collector had forgotten about himself, except to confess that he was a sinner in need of God's grace. Few people have had, more, had deeper insights into pride than C.S. Lewis. And in Mere Christianity, he addresses religious pride, specifically pride among Christians. He writes, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. End quote. Well, how do we, how do, we do that? How do, we, how do you forget about yourself altogether? That seems impossible precisely because we're filled with so much self, so much pride, so much boasting. We're centered on self and consumed with self by nature. 
How can we just stop being who we are, stop thinking about ourselves? How do we become self-forgetful? Well, you can't apart from the gospel. It's impossible. Remember, the gospel is the dragon slayer, the bragon dragon slayer. The gospel is a big dose of reality. Before, before it declares our salvation from sin by sheer grace, what's it do? It speaks to us directly and honestly about our wretched, sinful state, our sin problem that goes deeper than we know. And we see this when we try to become self-forgetful. We see just how deep our sin runs. But you see, the gospel is the slayer because boasting seems ridiculous. It should seem ridiculous to the person who understands his spiritual poverty as Paul outlines it so well in Romans 2 and 3. 1, 2, and 3. The gospel confronts us with our abject spiritual poverty, our utter destitution before God our complete lack of any shred of righteousness in ourselves. But recognizing the sinfulness of your sin, that's only the first step. It's not the only step in becoming self-forgetful. If you stop there and become overly fixated on your wickedness, you risk becoming self-absorbed, right? And, and before you know it, you're proud of how in tune you are uh, you know, with your wickedness. In tune you are to your own sin. Self-centeredness is never good, even if the focus of your self-absorption is your sin, because Satan is happy anytime you're fixated on self, because that means you're not far from some form of pride. Agreeing with God about your wretchedness is a necessary first step, but there's another necessary step in becoming self-forgetful. What is it? It's more positive. It's boasting in God. Boasting in God. The antidote to boasting in self is not to avoid boasting altogether. The antidote is to boast in Christ. You're going to boast. God made you to boast. You're a boaster. You're a glorifier. You're a worshiper. By design. You, you want glory, and that's, that's good. You're made in the image of God in that way, and so it's inevitable. You boast in someone or something. The only question is, in whom or in what? What's the object of your praise? Now, of course, part of the answer to that question, whom or in what, for every one of us is in myself, in my good works, Despite our theology, we look to our own goodness and faithfulness when we should be looking to God's. And because you're a human being who's not fully cured of your pride problem, you're tempted to focus on your religious fervor, your superior knowledge, your higher values, your greater devotion. But the gospel calls you to transfer all of that boasting to God. Not most of it, but 100% of it. We, we recently watched a, a movie uh, by the recommendation of the Petersons that had a bragging dragon in it. And at, at one point in the film, 
the film, the bragging dragon is being praised for some heroic feat that he had accomplished. And in response, he points up to heaven and says, no, it's, it's all him. It's all him. Well, it was mostly him. Uh, a, a little bit me, but mostly him. And now, so at least he's approaching honesty about how he really feels about his achievement. But the gospel compels you in principle and in practice to boast in God alone. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, Let the one who boasts boast in God. It makes no sense to glory in self. There's nothing there to boast about. And boasting in self is actually one of the most irrational things you could do in light of the depravity and sin out of which God has rescued you by the gift, by the free gift of his grace. Now it might be helpful to step back and just ask, what exactly does Paul mean by boasting? I've been using synonyms and and been trying to get at it from different angles. Well, Tim Keller put it well when he said, what you boast in is what gives you confidence to go out and face the day. It is the thing of which you say, I am a somebody because I have that. I can beat what comes against me today because I am this. What you boast in is what fundamentally defines you. It is where you draw your identity and self-worth, end quote. And there's no better way to illustrate this point than to look at how Paul himself defined himself and, and what he boasted in before he became a Christian. Before God saved him, Paul was boasting in himself. He says in Philippians 3, 5, and 6, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Those are the things that gave Paul the courage to go out and face the day. That's where he found his core identity and his blameless morality, his professional and religious achievements, and his ethnic pedigree. In the next verse, though, Paul says that all the things in which he found self-worth amounted to what? A heap of dung in comparison to the worth of knowing Christ. Listen to verses 7 to 9 in Philippians 3. This is Paul after he became a Christian. But whatever I gain, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as dung or a heap of dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When Paul became a Christian, he came to the conclusion that boasting in self and believing in God, boasting in self and believing in God are opposite and incompatible. They're oil and water. When you come to Christ, you forsake all self-aggrandizing, all self-reliance, all self-glory. It all becomes dung compared to the glory and worth of knowing Christ as Savior 
and Lord. So, which dung heap do you boast in? One of the jobs of your inner bragging dragon is to guard your precious dung heap. You know, it's, it's hidden in his lair. Your, your dragon protects the pile of things that you find worth in besides Christ. All the things that you put your confidence in, all the things that you find your identity in, all the things that make you feel important, significant, all the things that make you feel religious, pious, all the things that make you feel like you're somebody. Deep inside the dragon's dungeon are the things you want the world to see and admire about you. The things that bring you real, your, your, your joy. All the things that make you feel good about yourself. All the things that make you feel better than others. All the things that make you think that God is impressed with you. There in the, in the, the dragon's lair is a big heap of vain glory and boast fodder. It's a heap of dung. Giving up on boasting is easier said than done, right? We've, we've already thought about that. That's, that's one of the ways in which we really see the depths of our sin problem when we try to get rid of this, overcome it, forget about self. It's, it's more difficult than it seems like it should be because it's so obvious that we should do it. Excluding all boasting means destroying every idol that makes you feel secure, worthy, happy, and important. All grounds of self-confidence and self-esteem are excluded, Paul says. Why? Because a person is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. Your best achievement, your greatest contribution to mankind has done nothing whatsoever to make you righteous, accepted, Worthy before God. It's done nothing to establish your worth as a human or as a child of God. Zero. Boasting in your accomplishments is like the rich man on his deathbed who shouted, I'm all right. I'm healthy. It's okay. Everything's going to be all right. Just look at how much money I have in the bank. That's what boasting is. When you understand the gospel, you see no need to boast in, your st in yourself. Instead, you will boast in the crucified Christ who lives in you. Paul says in Galatians 6, 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which, this is important, by which, by, by means of the cross, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That happens through the cross. We are crucified to the world. The world is crucified to us. And that last part is key in all of this. The reason Paul only boasted in the cross of Christ is that the world was dead to him. And he was dead to the world. It had been crucified to him and he to it. He didn't care about the praise of the world. He gave up on all that. He did care before. But now he didn't. Paul's praise, his glory was not from people, but from God. If, if you have the handout, the last sentence in Romans 2 says that the way you can tell that a person's heart has been circumcised by the Holy Spirit is that his praise is not from people, but from God. The last sentence of Romans 2. 
a core characteristic of a spirit-filled believer is that he takes no credit for his standing before God and no credit for his gifts and talents and blessings that God has freely given him. No credit. Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not what? Receive. What do you have that you didn't receive from God? If then you received it from God, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Boasting is saying, I didn't receive this from God. I came up with it. This is me doing this. When Paul became a Christian, he made a boasting transfer. He made a boasting transfer. He shifted his boasting from obedience and racial identity and religious zeal to Christ alone. He quit caring what everyone thought about him. He got off the ladder of success. In short, he died. He died, and then Christ began living in him, he says. Christ began living in his body, through his body. Wherever Paul went, Christ went. So what's in the dung heap that your bragging dragon is guarding? Where do you find your security, identity, and self-worth? Spiritually, where do you put your confidence? Some of you identify as a homemaker and a a homeschool mom, perhaps. And when you're doing well in that domain, you feel that all is right with the world and God is pleased with you. You're aware of which women are better at you than that and, and which women you're better than. You prefer thinking about the women you're better than because that makes you feel better about yourself. You envy women who have what you don't in this area or in this way. And you look for ways to bring them down a notch, even if just in your own mind. Others of you put your confidence and self-worth in other things. It may be the important role that you play in your workplace or your faithfulness as a leader in your home or your fervency in prayer. Perhaps you boast in your careful observation of all the inconvenient commands in Scripture, or in your hardcore commitment to conservative theological principles, or your willingness to do hard things, or in your reasonableness and wisdom in comparison, in comparison to most people in your life. Most of the problem, most of your problems in life are related, if not based on, misplaced boasting. Think about that with me. The the same could be said about any society or, or any church. Most problems, if not every problem, is the result of misplaced boasting. Misplaced boasting causes divisions and broken relationships because the fruit of the Spirit are not being exhibited. At the individual level, Boasting in self and seeking praise from people always causes anxiety. Why? Because when whatever you're boasting in is threatened, when the thing that makes you feel important goes away, or or when people find out that you're not as devout or as wise or as praiseworthy or as steadfast as you needed them to think, 
when that's threatened, your fundamental security is threatened and deep terror begins to set in. Deep terror. You, you know the deep terror I'm talking about. It's, it's the deep terror that's inevitable when a person craves approval from the world more so than from God. The person who is boasting in Christ alone is immune to that terror because he has been crucified to the world and the world to him. He needs nothing from the world because he has Christ and the world can take nothing from him because he has Christ. The gospel instills a new mindset into the believer. Boasting in the Lord relieves you of the burden of having to achieve what Jesus has already achieved for you. It saves you from having to accomplish what Christ already accomplished on your behalf. Boasting in self creates anxiety. And it creates anxiety because your dung heap is vulnerable. Someone might find out what it's made up of. But boasting in the Lord generates joy because the righteousness of Christ is secure, immovable, unshakable. No one can poke a hole in it. No one can take it away from you. You're immune to deep terror. Boasting in self puts you in bondage to the world. It enslaves you to what other people think about how good you are, how spiritually minded you are. But boasting in the Lord fosters freedom. It allows you to be free from the praise of men. Being crucified to the world is freeing. Boasting in self is exhausting. It's a lot to keep up with because there's always so much work to do in order to be a worthy person. There's no time to sleep because there's books to read and things to accomplish and homeschooling podcasts to watch and theological arguments to win online. Trying to become a worthy person is tiring. But boasting in the Lord gives rise to rest because you know that even if you were to live a million lifetimes, you wouldn't be able to do enough or be enough to make yourself a worthy person. Psalm 121, 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God loves you, so don't stay up so late. God loves you, so don't get up so early. Do you want to experience deep joy, true freedom, satisfying rest? Then forget about yourself. Forget about yourself. It's the simplest thing and the most difficult thing you'll ever do. Slay your inner bragging dragon. Don't just tame him, kill him. Kill your inner drive to be somebody. Boasting kills joy. It enslaves, it wears you out. 
But the gospel is a wellspring of joy, freedom, and rest that is experienced by boasting in God, by magnifying Christ in your life, Paul says, and in your death. He says, I'll, do, I'll magnify Christ whether I live or die. <clears throat> the gospel grounds you so that criticisms and disappointments and even utter failure, right, no longer threaten your joy. <clears throat> the gospel frees you to look at your faults and your failures honestly for what they are because, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Because they not only highlight the amazing grace and unfailing love of God toward you, they also free you to acknowledge your sins and your shortcomings and to feel more loved when you do it. They, they enable you to see God's grace, to acknowledge your sin, and instead of feeling Farther, farther away from God, you feel closer to God, more loved by God because you see how much you've been forgiven. <clears throat> if deep down you believe that your worth and acceptance hang on your performance, you'll find it extremely difficult to see your sin for what it is. Like I said, your sin will just make you feel further from God rather than closer and more loved. And that really is the diagnostic test that you need to run on yourself. Here's the critical test. When your sin is revealed, when you come face to face with sin in a new way that you haven't before, does it drive you away from God or does it awaken you to new depths of God's love for you because you now know better just how much you've been forgiven revealed sin drives away the proud person but if your boast is in the Lord if your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever then when your sin is exposed it'll draw you to God and cause you to experience his love at new heights. Christian, you have nothing to be anxious about. There's nothing in your future that you should worry about. You need not fear rejection, negative evaluations, failure, even death. Those things are coming. But you need not fear them because God is for you. And he'll never, ever be against you. His love for you in Christ Jesus can't grow or shrink. And it's far greater than you realize. You don't need to boast in yourself. You have every reason to boast in God. I close with the words from a song by Andrew Peterson called Rest Easy. One of my favorite songs by him. You work so hard to wear yourself down and you're running like a rodeo clown. You're smiling like you're scared to death. You're out of faith and all out of breath. 
you're so afraid. You've got nowhere left to go. Well, you are not alone. I will always be with you. And here's the chorus. You don't have to work so hard. You can rest easy. You don't have to prove yourself. You're already mine. You don't have to hide your heart. I already love you. I hold it in mine. You can rest easy. Let's pray. God, help us to rest in your love so that we see no need to boast in ourselves, And strengthen us by the power of your spirit, the resurrection power in us to exclude boasting and to boast in Christ alone, in the cross of Christ alone. Oh God, make us self-forgetful this week, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.